Mr. Dustin Caro, how are you, sir? Good. Good morning from uh, the mountains of Colorado. Indeed. Good morning from the mountains of Colorado. Very nice to see you. Um, it's, I was going to say, what, what a lovely, peaceful day um, it is here and there. We've got sunshine for the first time in four weeks. Um, so but we better kick off with, it's a bit, It's really kind of a little bit busy out there with the whole nuclear uranium space. Um, we better start with the most topical um, uh, thing at the moment, which is Niger. Um, obviously, caught a few people off guard. Um, companies like Global Atomic, GovX, um, affected by what's going on there. What, what's your take on this? Geopolitically, very sensitive um, part of the world. French, very nervous about what's happening. Uh, do we need to be? Well, you know, the, the view from the U.S. is, I think, concerned, first of all, because uh, we had a, a noticeable presence there. And, and it's seen as an anchor for kind of the U.S. presence in that, that region. So the question becomes, what happens now? You know, the, low, the other countries nearby were saying if they didn't restore the former government by yesterday, they would intervene. And yesterday came and went with nothing going on. Um, a number of articles here that maybe part of it is the anti-French sentiment that, uh, you know, they've been there a very long time. But on the uranium side, um, I think near term, it's been pretty clear. The EU came out, I, you know, the French, which it was EDF, and basically saying, you know, it doesn't really upset kind of their, you know, uranium picture in the near term. Because after Comanac was closed in 21, uh, production has dropped down close to 5 million pounds. And keep in mind, Orano only gets about two-thirds of that. The rest of it goes to Sopamen, the, the state-owned uranium company. Um, but I think, as has been pointed out, if you look down the road a bit, you know, what does this mean for, potentially mean, for future supply? Because if you add up, as you say, Goviax, Global Atomics, uh, CNNC was back talking to them about restarting the Aslik mine, which isn't big, a couple million pounds a year. And, you know, Irano had just signed a new agreement with the government in May, which included uh, potentially developing Emerarin. So if you add up where production could be, pick at, let's say, 2030, 2032, you know, it could be almost 30 million pounds. Emerarin's 13 million is the proposed nominal. But even without that, it's like 15 million. So I think if you look out in the future, you say, well, um, if you're a, a utility fuel manager, um, and you know, Global's got two contracts in in the U.S. You know, what does the security of supply situation look at look like? Will it be even greater because of the importance of uranium to the economy? Um, the Russians are. Uh, circling around. They've condemned the coup, but the Wagner group is uh, ready to step in and help out. And you've probably seen that the the Russian, you know, Rosatom is now looking at a pilot plant in Tanzania. Finally, you know, they've kind of, they've been very quiet there. And then the big project in Namibia, Wings, the in-situ recovery which could produce, I think they want 8 million pounds or more a year by 2029. 
So, you know, the, the Russians clearly are looking a fee far afield for more sources of uranium. And do they end up somehow inserting themselves there? Um, so I, I think it's a, you know, a question mark, just as the utilities are underscoring security of supply as, as really a main part of their long-term procurement. So how does it come out? I, I think at this point, a little early days. So we'll just have to wait and see, but you know, could be on one of several paths going forward. I think the interesting thing when you look at um, ECO, well, as I say, the, the, the deadline came and went yesterday. So that's the economic community of West African states we're talking about here. Um, you know, the, the fact that you've got someone like um, Mohamed Bazoum and his, um, you know, well, and his followers in Paris, you know, lobby, lobbying and trying to kind of get um, the French to do something about this, that nothing's been, nothing's moving at the moment. There doesn't seem to be a lot of um, conversation either from other Western states. You know, the, the US hasn't really said or done too much, despite having a, a couple of bases in country. Neither has the, you know, the European Union kind of stepped in at this point. Is that just because of the French, uh, so the uh, Russian factor, because of the, you know, again, perceived Chinese factor because that seems to be where where Russia is kind of focusing its ec economic reliance um, in, in in the future. I, it's a massive, I guess, geopolitical mess at the moment. I'm trying to work yeah. out how it unravels. Um, you know, because coups are not a new thing in Africa. I, you know, I was said to a group last week. You said there's been over 200 coups in Africa since 1950. No. It's it's a you know it's a usual transition of fairly regular. Fairly regular thing, and usually predominantly very peaceful things. Um, and not to say it's not necessarily de de democratic, but it, it, it's kind of the way it's more common than uh, it would be in the West. But what does it what's it do for the the supply story? What's it do for um, the demand story into the West? Because it's obviously has been seen as obviously a feeder for the French. What, if it doesn't get resolved soon, because um, it's very anti-French um, sentiment, as you say, where do the French look to? Do some of these companies that uh, some of the French companies are, are JV'd with, but I've sort of not seen a lot of cash from, do they suddenly get an influx of cash heading their way? Is that is that a possibility? I mean, what, 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 do you, what do you make of the supply-demand story as this affects it? Well, again, I think... Uh... As the uh, market bifurcates, which is still happening, although the Russian uh, fuel supplies continue to flow at the moment, um, so you know that that situation hasn't really changed a lot. But again, I think as you point out, it's a big geopolitical football right now, and as the utilities look across the landscape on long-term security of supply, they're very focused on. Uh, sustainability of production centers now. In other words, when they look at a new new development, they've put that on their checklist of, you know, will this be available? So, you know, it's like the EU put out a statement apparently that, well, maybe Namibia, maybe that's a, a place we need to focus on more. So, you know, but, but the list is kind of getting shorter. I mean, you know, you put a question mark next to Niger. How big is the question mark? We'll, we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, you've got Canada, Australia. You know, will there be a upsurge there? I'm not sure when that could take place. It's still 
I think, challenging to move forward with uranium there. So again, it's uh, as we look at potential increases in demand, there was an interesting interview with Musk that the CEO of Pacific Gas and Electric did, and he said, oh, elect you know, elect electrification needs to triple by like 2045, electric vehicles, data centers, you know, you name it. So we're still looking at that expansion in not electricity, but how do you do it? Nuclear is going to play a bigger and bigger role. So, but I was just thinking yesterday about, you know, our talk today, the, uh, the fuel cycle needs more attention. Let's put it that way. And, and certainly, like the Nuclear Energy Institute and the WNA, World Nuclear Association, had not been really focused on it that much. And, and the WNA still really isn't. With their reorganization, I was a little surprised they didn't have a stronger commitment to fuel. I mean, it started out as the Uranium Institute. Now, that was a long time ago. But there's just a lot of issues. And it's not just production. It's transportation. You know, you know what it looks like. So again, the fact that Niger now may be viewed near term until it settles out as somewhat less secure longer term, that just, again, you know, narrows the field of supply sources for for the utilities. But, you know, it really, it really does. And look, and I think, you know, obviously people listening to this and watching this will be leaning in and going, well, hey, um, you've got, you know, Global Atomic, um, who recently, you know, tried to raise some money, got kind of delayed because of, um, you know, eco warriors coming in, making something up, um, you know, about what, uh, about why they believe this should not go ahead, and that kind of caused that particular fundraise to delay, and that was that was, that was, we thought that was bad. Now you've got something like this coup, where it's kind of very, it's not anti-West, it's it's anti-French, very specific. Um, where it's again put a it's going to put a long hold on any financial organisations looking to you know do something with the debt there. Um, despite you know, look, it's, it's fundamentally in, it's in, it's a really good kind of good place. The company certainly with its with its zinc revenues etc. And you know it's got a re re reasonably high grade uh, flank which they're going to get after first. You know it, it's it's all good, but. If I'm a banker, which I used to be, and I hear about a coup, which I which I did which did happen to me actually mid funding, we down tools. We've got to see how this thing plays out. And I think the slightly worrying thing here is the fact that um, it seems to have quite big support. And then you look to what happened a couple of weeks ago in St. Petersburg, where you've got uh, Vladimir Putin, you know, inviting all of the uh, African heads of state uh, in that to talk about, you know. You know how powerful they could be together, and how perhaps uh, the U.S. dollar was not the, the the solution that they they should be looking to. It, it's a real negative vibe going on in, in in Africa and and Niger. You know, you mentioned the Wagner Group specifically. You know, around the Western Sahel, you know, west western um, part of Africa. It's it's really got a little bit complicated. And this may be Putin playing a game off the back of what's going on in um, in Ukraine. But right now, for someone like Global, for someone like Goviex, and, and for obviously the, the French companies, Iranos, et cetera, 
it ain't going to get solved tomorrow. I think that's the problem. And time is money. So what, what, do, you, what do you expect the French government to do about it? Uh, you know, if you can figure out what the French are going to do. Now, having said that, as you've probably seen, they're focusing on Uzbekistan, on Mongolia. Um, and I didn't, I, I was of the opinion, although, yeah, we're going to look at Emmeraren. You know, they've, that, that project's been looked at by the French for so many years in Niger. Um, you know, do they kind of start to move out, out of Niger? I mean, you know, they, they closed down Comanac because it was, you know, resource depletion. Um, Somer, uh, production is 5 million, capacity is almost 8, or it was. So is this just part of the overall plan where they go, well, okay, but but we're how you know how hard do they fight to keep a big role in Niger? I think it remains to be seen, and or they just go, hey, we'll let the the Russians and the Chinese fight it out there. And you know the the other thing that's come up with the Saudis, you know they're going to start investing in uranium outside of their region. Um, so do they? I do. I don't think they'll get involved in that potential Donnybrook, they'll probably go elsewhere, but they're going to be more accepted as investors in, say, the U.S., Canada, Australia, probably, I would think, than, than Russia and China. It'd be interesting to see what, what, what we'll come back. We'll come back to Saudi Arabia in a second, but I just want to finish off on the French here, which, which is that the French have got a massive producing assets, assets massive producing assets in Niger. It's, it is producing today. Going and investing in Mongolia or Uzbekistan or Canada or Australia or elsewhere, that doesn't give them the pounds that they need. And we obviously clearly, you know, we, we, need to, we need to kind of talk about enrichment and conversion and all the rest of that sort of stuff. But in terms of uranium coming in that feeds into that enrichment process, it doesn't solve the problem today. So surely, surely the French have to do something which um, gets them the pounds they need today. Niger is the first port of call. It's the quickest port of call. Something's going to have to give. And I'm just intrigued to see what that, what that looks like. Should this military junta, um, you know, this, 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 uh, uh, I think Goita, isn't it? I think it's called Goita. Um, you know, it depends to see, I see me Goita. It's, it depends what he is willing to do in terms of backing down because it's catching all the headlines, but the reality is Niger is extremely poor, right? You know, 40, 40% of their 40% of their budget comes from foreign aid for crying out loud, right? So, you know, you'd think the French and the US could could cross them and you know with with a you know bold boldly worded um letter. But they can't they can't do that overnight. So do you think this affects the French today? They've got they've got a inventory so at, you know at the at the various power stations, so they're kind of fine. So you've got a bit of time. So if 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 you're the French, maybe it doesn't. We can do this slowly, but if you're a public market company, maybe it's a little bit more painful. Well, get back on the French. You know, they only get about three million pounds a year now in Niger. So, and there's wide utilities like EDF hold strategic inventory in the millions of pounds, and it's for situations like this. So, really, kind of short term. You know, do they they have a strategy of just maintaining their current production center? 
perhaps. You know, I mean, they they dominated the country for years and years. Um, and do they really want to fight that hard to continue that role? Um, remain, you know, remains to be seen. When others may step up and say, "Hey, you know, we will give you more money. We'll do whatever. You know, be it the Chinese, the Russians, or whomever." So yeah, it's like I said, it, there's several paths it can travel. But you're right. I think the project financing, the banks uh, may be a little less comfortable now than they were in early July. Uh, so we'll just have to see. Let me see. Well, let's come back to the um, the Saudis because uh, you just mentioned that you've given us a sense of what, what you think of that one. But, you know, they when they come to play, they've got a lot of money. It, it kind of the, the their oil revenues make you know, uranium revenues pale into insignificance. So first of all, why would they want to get into this nuclear space? And, you know, and do you think the West is going to be comfortable with that, given it's the Middle East and nuclear? Those two things have never gone hand in hand. Oh, well, certainly the Saudis are still touting their 16 reactor program, which they've talked about now for quite some time. They do have bids in for the first two units. They apparently will make a decision by the end of the year. There's speculation it will be Russian just to be, you know, dealing with the uh, the pariah. Um, there's speculation it'll be Westinghouse. They want closer ties to the U.S. But, but again, the word is they want to develop uranium in the kingdom, they apparently have brought in Chinese geologists that are running exploration programs, and then they want to invest outside. Now, how big? Uh, you know, I don't know that. I think they're being advised by Western consultants on what might be available, what might be the best move to make. So I think they're they're looking at that right now. But yeah, I was told late last year they've got a two-pronged uranium strategy, domestic and foreign investment. Um, you know, do they go the Emirates route and sign a number of long-term contracts? There was always speculation the Emirates would start to invest in uranium, but they were looking in the region, maybe phosphates in Morocco or whatever. So, you know, it just brings that uncertainty, but theoretically positive in that there will be capital negative in that they may take the uranium for their own uh, program. Who knows? That's the whole thing. I get back to the the utility fuel manager who's may, trying to make sure he's got uranium, he or she, uh, for those units sitting out there. And how do they go about it? Where do they, they don't, you know, say it's in the U.S. You know, the U.S. is never going to produce 40 million pounds again. So you've got to go offshore. Obviously, you go to Canada, a bit in Australia, but then the the you've got the Kazakhs. But but how do you you know implement that strategy? So there's just a lot of moving parts. So lot, a lot remain, of, a lot remains of to be parts. seen. Yes. Remains to be seen. Like, and we need all of the above. So, like, that we're not dissing yes, any exactly. any company exactly. or any individuals or any governments that here. We we need all of the above for sure. And yes, there will be new technologies with new energy sources, and and they will need that as well. Um, but look, just just on on, on the Saudis, obviously, I, I wonder what you know, what the role could be because you know I think they they you know obviously we, the recent deal was 
somewhere like one one percent of their annual oil revenues. That that that's that's all it was. It was a big no. chunk of change. Where what 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 was it? It was like six billion. We're getting six billion, oh, something yeah. like that, right? right. It was yeah. like so, somewhere maybe slightly less, but not much more than that. So it's a big chunk of change for this sector, which is tiny. Um, yeah. So to see this kind of Saudi sort of jump in with both feet, um, I, I'm surprised there wasn't much of a reaction from from the market in terms of what the potential is here, um, and that may be a case of where the money's come from, um, not necessarily about the the, the, the deal itself. However, Saudis, if they're, they're getting into hydrogen, they're getting into nuclear, they're getting into green, they're getting into all sorts of energy, they, are, they want to be the energy hub uh, globally, it, it looks like, um, they are going to have to partner. Is the, is the US a sort of willing partner of the Saudis? They have been, obviously, for... Um, you know, when the Saudis want to buy military equipment and oil, but or is, golf, is, golf organizations. So. Golf. Oh, let's not go there. Let's not I know. go there. Should never have happened. Um, that there are standards and, and, and golf etiquette. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So where, what do you th- what do you think? What do you think of the the US? Are they going to have to like co- cozy up real quick to this because um, they haven't really again made any. Uh, announcements or any moves? Um, what, what do you expect to see? It may still be a little too early. I think, again, not knowing the Saudis that well, know the Emirates better, um, probably being very methodical. How should we go about this? We've got a lot of money. We can put it kind of anywhere. But, you know, where is the, you know, is it the U.S. that we really can't get a lot of uranium out of, probably? Or is it Canada? Don't know, you know. Again, I don't know the ge- the geopolitical situation all that well, but I think they'll. And it is it's, should it be a multi prong? In other words, you don't just go to Australia, but it, it's some here, it's some there. Well, you know, they're not. Do they form a Saudi uranium Inc. company that does all that? I would assume so. Bring in some Westerners and. You know, so it just re- it, it remains to be seen. Almost, it's it's they have so much potential clout that it's uh, you know they have to be careful. So let's put it that way. But uh, and just as a a comment, it's interesting. We watched a tennis tournament in Washington D.C. sponsored by Mubadala. So they're in you know, and people, I'm sure 99 yeah. percent of the people that no clue that is. Yeah. But, you know, being a sovereign wealth fund, so they're gradually inserting themselves, you know, in the around the world. So, yep. Yep. Indeed. But here's the thing that kind of surprises me. I, I'm again with the, the 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 Niger situation. Right. Which is you can see that going on there. My first concern is, oh, man, global that sucks for them. You know, it, in terms of the timing couldn't be worse for them and you know it's a question of you know you know do they have to obviously have to wait that out and like and let's hope that resolves itself and i, I you know and, and it, it kind of will one way or the other because we need this stuff out of the ground so whoever whoever need whoever is in control it'll have to be part of an export program because nothing it's no kind of short-term um, gain or win for whichever government or whichever leaders in power there so i think it will get out of the ground um but there was no knock-on effect for namibia Right, we've got a couple of companies we know. You know, we 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 obviously know the deep yellow guys, the Bannerman guys. Um, 
But they didn't still see a bump in their stock. Because you think, well, if it's not happening up in Niger, surely Namibia, where it's four and a half thousand kilometers away, very peaceful in Namibia, yeah. um, should be the beneficiary. But n nothing's happened, really. Does that surprise you? A bit. But I think, the, the, again, the EU coming out and underscoring Namibia is, is certainly a positive. But to some degree, I think, you know, Namibia, obviously a big Chinese presence. Um, and they're not, you know, they don't worry about their shares. They 25% of Langer, you know, Hussab, Rossing, um, you know, now the Russians talking it up. So really, the, the, to me, the Namibian story is a deep yellow and eventually a, perhaps Bannerman. But there's not a lot of uh, focus has been placed on it. Because I think it was always viewed low grade, high cost, down the road, ho hum, you know, kind of thing. So, you know, I think that all this will help on the role that Namibia can play in the global market. But, you know, there's not that many projects that are kind of close to shovel ready there. Um, you know, there's been a lot of looking and evaluating and drilling of holes, but it's only you know, deep yellow and, and, you know, Bannerman has looked at a tango a lot. So, you know, we'll just have to, again, it's a wait and see, but yeah, I would think the investment community would now give some further focus on Namibia, long time history of ex, you know, exporting and uh, the governmental situation seems a lot more stable from what I can tell. So yeah, so de well, def definitely is that way. I've, I've, I've been there uh, in in country, and it definitely um, has that has that feel to it. Let, let's talk about um, price. What's happening in price? In fact, wait, wait, whilst we're talking of lots of money with with, with the Saudis, <laughs> is let's talk about some of these financial players which come in the market. The Spurt, Zuri, um, Yellow Cake, etc. Um, they slightly paralysed because of the structure of their their at the markets and 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 how they can allocate when they can allocate their uh, capital. So not a lot of buying this year, it feels like. Have they got their moment in the sun to come or are they well, going to be, again, pretty quiet for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, if you kind of give a forensic accounting, when they first started, they were buying a million pounds a week. Then that obviously dropped off as they went to discounts. But this year, yeah, they've just not been in a position to buy much of any, you know, a couple hundred thousand pounds, what, since March, or I guess the last purchase was late April, hundred thousand pounds. Uh, the discount is shrinking. Uh, you know, I looked at it the other day, maybe 5%. The ATM has been, uh, you know, uh, put in, let's say, put in a new position of the 1.3 billion or whatever. So, I mean, they're in a position to do a lot of market activity. They have a, a lot of people that are, you know, very savvy uh, through WMC Energy. So again, I think when they go neutral to a positive, but again, they can't, I'm continuing to hear the market quite thin. So we look at it and, you know, the price has gone up like 20% since the first of the year on pretty modest volumes. You know, UX is now reporting 31 million pounds through the end of July. So maybe, you know, if, the, if this were to be the case through the end of the year, might struggle to get to 50 million pounds. But I'm being told that 
there are utilities waiting in the wings if they see the price start to strengthen. Some producers, Cameco has said they need to buy. Uh, and then the financial guys, you know, Yellow Cake still has the option for this year with the uh, Kazakhs, uh, Zuri. Um, there seems to be a, you know, kind of a lack of information from what I can tell, but they haven't hit the market with a hundred million dollars to buy a lot of material yet could change. But yeah, the sense is the market has strengthened off of relatively low volume. So the economists would say, uh, there's not a lot of material out there. I'm being told by people that are very involved in the market, 24 and 25 looks uh, very tight without financial buyers. So if they come in, even in modest volumes, you're going to see you know, a potential squeeze on the spot market. They're just not the material around. So... It's interesting, isn't it? Like it doesn't take much. If you look earlier in the year, we saw the obviously Diablo extension, meaning like going out into the market and buying up some pounds, and that really kind of moved moved the dial. It also got people a little bit excited and think, "Well, crikey, who's next on the buying program here?" I say X, the finance financial guys, um, but that didn't materialize. Again, you've got some utility buyers just trying to mop up these pounds in the kind of with with the, with the six handle on it right there and that must be coming to an end surely yeah i think the sense is you know we're coming to the end particularly on term contracting that the restart producer phase of the market may be kind of playing out where you know i think they did quite a few contracts below 60 um and so now the the, the word is the utilities and suppliers are in discussions, but they're the probably six a six in front of the price. So the utilities, you, did, you have not seen a lot of new long-term contracts announced other than Cameco in Ukraine. But, you know, say in the West, we were seeing a, a lot of them, you know, everything from Paladin to Encore to Energy Fuels to Your Energy to, to you know, a, a number of them. But now it's gone kind of quiet. And I think it's utilities, again, have stepped back and said, I'm getting Russian deliveries. I don't you know. I think those may keep happening. And, you know, let's take a look at who's out there. But there's been a, you know, a hesitancy to, I think, to agree to any long-term contracts. You know, I've heard of a couple that are in the very low 60s, small, big, big producers. So, you know, but for the, the the new developments and and even some of the restart, you know, Boss hasn't done any contracting, but I expect they they may start making announcements. So that's kind of you know we're at a a little bit in my view a pause, which could end. I mean, the word is a number of utilities will come in the term market before the end of the year and maybe before London, which is only three weeks away. You know, we did have a U.S. utility come in last week, not a big volume, but 26 through 30. So, you know, kind of a, the relevant time frame. So, well, like we, we we have this conversation every year about the end of the year. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it, since 2019, we've been having this chat about this is the year, September, October is the year. And it just manages to just 
eke itself out. I mean, talk about accretive growth. I mean, it has been. In, if you look at spot price, which I think most sort of um, investors look to as a sort of sense of where yes, something that yes. they can actually see, it looks, it, it, it's, it's, it's been moving forward. Like, you know, we were in a sort of mid to, you know, mid 20s when we first started talking. And where are we, in, where are we now? Is it 57? Yeah, 56, 56 like right 57, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, it has moved, but unfortunately the equities haven't. And that, that's the thing which we investors look to because we're here to make money by investing in the right companies. I mean, some some bright spark, I think, mentioned in one of the social media posts that, well, uranium's destroyed 50% of shareholders' money since 2021. It's like, you know, it's very hard not to want to respond to people like that um, in terms of, how to invest, let alone what, what's going on in the Iranian market. But there it is. Everyone's got an opinion. Um, I just want to just want to talk about um, U.S. production for a bit because I'm, I'm looking to some of the places we've had the benefit of having people on, like Danson Mines last week, um, Your Energy recently, um, and we're sort of looking. I mean, it got us to thinking about you know what's happening in the U.S. market. So there's some companies which have been. So not the, I'll say North American market, obviously, a whole bunch of companies with a bunch of pounds in the ground, which are looking for, you know, looking for either permits or licenses or social license um, to actually get the stuff out, out of the ground. And it's going to take take a while. And then there are others who have perhaps been going on quietly about um, the business of building their own businesses and, and hoping that they can deliver at some point. But the U.S. market specifically first, not North American, U.S. specifically, the amount of pounds that can be produced is not a lot, right? The U.R. energies, the encores, the, even the UECs at some point will, will may, may produce a, a few pounds. Um, but it's not a lot in terms of what the U.S. is going to need to feed its burgeoning uh, reactor fleet and um, SMRs and all of those wonderful things that, that people are doing with technology out there with uranium and, and nuclear. What where's what do the companies do? What do the public companies need to to do to be aggressive? Because I heard from Euro Energy, he's very happy with their lot, they're happy with their projects, they're going to make those work, and that's great. Not very ambitious, but probably very sensible. And you've got other companies who are building up, you know, buy, buying left, right, and center, but not necessarily getting any closer to, to, to production. Do you think there's scope for more M&A? Do you think there's scope for a Saudi-type situation where someone with real money comes in and buys, rolls up a bunch of these U.S. players? Um, well, first of all, on the U.S. side, keep in mind all these guys are ISR producers, except for energy fuels. And I think they're, you know, certainly still involved in uranium to a great degree, but looking at other strategic minerals. But, you know, Encore, starting up a couple of existing facilities. Yeah, they're licensed for a couple million pounds each. Um, probably won't produce at that level for some period of time. A uh, year energy, yeah, one production facility, less than a million pounds a year, you know, get a few good term contracts at base prices and, you know, be able to get up in Monday morning and, and, and go into work. It'll be okay. No, you know, no great expansion. You know, Encore has got uh, Dewey Burdock, so they've purchased some other, yeah, but you start to cobble it all together in the U.S., you know, 10 million pounds, 
12 maybe on a, a good day uh, might be kind of where you can get for quite a while till you start expanding, building new facilities. And the other, you know, would be conventional. I mean, we produced over 40 million pounds when we had 28 conventional mills and almost all of them are gone. So, you know, the idea of the Saudis investing here, I think it's too small. I mean, why would yeah, you come you in, go. you know, and, and even if you rolled everybody up into one company, which would never happen, it's just, and the bid reserves are like New Mexico, you know, and, and the, the state is fairly anti-uranium. So it's just really difficult. I mean, so, so again, I think this, if you're the Saudis, you're having that study done and you go, well, look at the U.S. I've got all these hundreds of millions of pounds. And then you said, but where are they? What would it take to produce some? You know, do you have to, where are the people here? You know, who who's going to, anyway. So I think that's the, the, the part. So the U.S. utilities consuming 35, 40 million pounds a year, give or take, they have to look side for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's just the way it is, so... Well, that is, is the way it is, but it's, you know what I mean? So I looked at some of these U.S. companies, and they're just clearly, it's going back to the conversations of 2019, oh, the Chinese will buy us. That was their exit oh, strategy. The Chinese yeah. will buy us. You know, and it feels, it feels that with some of the, the, the U.S. uranium companies, it's like, oh, someone please, for the sake of the love <laughs> of God, come, come and buy us. us. Please, because we do, we're not in control. It's all taking too long. Time is money, all of those sorts of things. And quite frankly, we don't have the skill sets necessarily to to deliver it. And that's why it kind of feels like, so when you've got things like Saudi leaders trying to push for a sort of joint US-Saudi domestic project on, on nuclear energy, it something like that happening over there. So Westinghouse selling in, in you know, technology to the Saudis. Well, I guess, you know, the pushback could be, well, that's great. How about you help us back in the US and we'll we'll kind of co-fund this thing. And do you know what I mean? That, that's how these sort of trades um, happen, you know, so, you know, it doesn't all need to be, you know, Riyadh focused. Um, so I, I just, I'm intrigued. I'm just intrigued by how, how these deals um, get done and how it kind of plays out in the Middle East because that, that has knock-on effects and ramifications elsewhere in terms of obviously pushing, you know, uh, Russian interests out if that's a kind of key driver for the US uh, government. Um, and, yeah, and energy has always been a very sort of powerful uh, lever. We've got to move on. We've got to move on. Uh, because uh, conversion enrichment, which we talked about earlier, that continues to um, be a problem. There's a little bit of movement there, a um, little bit of you know, control being got. Um, if I look at things like Westinghouse, uh, Cameco, et cetera, um, that's great. But where, where else and what else does North America, specifically the US, need to do on the conversion enrichment side and you know what is it going to be um are we going to remove red tape barriers and make it happen quick so that's the problem isn't it um yeah quick i don't see i mean the the whole idea of the transition period during the bifurcation of the market by 27 or something the west would have you know able to build more enrichment you know Urenco announced our expansion, they said, in, in New Mexico. Well, it's 15%, and it almost sounds like it's more replacing, you know, centrifuges that, that need to be replaced. I mean, it's a good move. They're bringing in more people, so they're, you know, moving towards perhaps. But, you know, building, 
you know, LES2 in New Mexico. Yeah, I don't hear any of that yet. Because, it's, because again, as we've talked, the suppliers are taking the position that the utilities have to provide that long-term sustainable commitment or they're not going to do it. You know, Converdine, a company I know well, I used to be there with General Atomics. I mean, if you really step back and you say, okay, they're starting up, they're in production, seven, 8,000 tons per year under new contracts that they signed before the invasion. I think that they probably will do very well economically at the lower production rate. So they, the, the owner, Honeywell, with General Atomics being part of it, um, if I were them, I'd say, well, the, you know, the utilities have to give us much longer contracts, higher prices, or we'll just kind of, this will be a nice little profit center for the next eight years, and then we'll see what happens. So, you know, I have my own theory there. The, the decommissioning cost was always 250 to 300 million, but the conversion price was so low, the theory was, well, they'll never decommission it because they don't want to spend the money. Well, what if you're making a big profit margin, say the next six, seven years, say $10 a kilogram, you could probably set aside a very healthy decommissioning fund. So then you say, okay, well now we'll, we'll go, because when I was there, it was always talked about, you know, that was allied signal. Why are you in this business? And they've shut down, they've started up, the NRC has been all over them for years. You know, it just, until the customers say, we need this and we're willing to pay for it. I don't see, you know, I've heard the term, you know, no speculative expansions in the fuel cycle in the West. You know, it's not a build it and they will come attitude. It's no, they got to come, then we'll build it. So we'll see. Yeah. It it will we'll see um absolutely like and, and we we've talked over the you know past few months you and i um about you know and, and even in today's conversation that you know the us exporting nuclear um leadership um the fact that things like the ira um is you know f- you know makes public funding available um in in some instances and and they're sort of you know, increasing um, investor interest. We've mentioned obviously the Saudis today, but you know, you've got, you've kind of got Brookfields and um, New Scale and Westinghouse and Terra Power and X Energy, and you know, so lot, lots of new money coming into into the space. So that's that's super exciting. And you know, again, lots of governments um, either extending um, or approving commissioning of new reactors and SMR. So that's super exciting. But here's one thing which I don't which you've talked about a lot, but I, I'm not hearing much about in the marketplace. And, and then certainly the need to do it is obvious, but I'm not sure how it's going to happen, which is building the talent pipeline, right? Oh, yeah. you, it, it, that's the big problem here, right? Certainly for uranium miners and obviously then you know, n- nuclear as well. So what, what, has anything changed? Are you, are you seeing people actually Well, I mean, again, slowly. I, you know, let's look at the nuclear engineering side. I think we talked about it before. Um, a number of big universities had nuclear engineering programs, but then in the dark period, the long march, they cut cut down, cut out, but now they're reinvigorating 
some of them, and I think I told you Colorado School of Mines is apparently instituting a nuclear engineering group. Well, you got to hire the professors, of which very few PhD nuclear engineers out there. Um, so it's a slow process. The Navy used to provide a lot of nuclear trained officers and all that. Don't hear many of them coming into the, the utility industry, for example. Um, geologists, you know, are you going to study in oil and gas or whatever, or lithium and, you know, all of that? Or are you going to study uranium? I mean, I don't think there's a lot of guys studying uranium geology. So it just takes a long time for the credibility, for the sustainability, because this industry, as you know, has gone up and down and up and down. So is it something you want to commit your geologic uh, career to? Mm, maybe, but haven't, you know, and that's what I hear about SMRs. A lot of talk, a lot of talk. Show me the art of the orders. Show me the firm orders. And there haven't been a lot of firm orders yet. Everybody's sort of that discussion, evaluation. Phase. I mean, they in, you know, go down the list. It's really un unbelievable. But, you know, show me the firm commitment. So that's kind of where we are. So there's a, yes, it looks interesting, but show me, I guess it's the old show me the money, but show me the, the it's more the sustainability. Is this just going to be a lot of talk and then nothing happens? And, and so why would I commit to it? And that's an ongoing problem. So it, it, it's an ongoing problem which needs to be resolved real quick because <laughs> no. um, you, you think reactors take a long time. Try, try and, oh. try and uh, get experienced growing uh, a, growing a quickly, nuclear right? engineer takes a long time anyway they do take a long time they're a special breed yes um okay well like, we, we better round it up there i think we've been chatting for a while um with regards to so you're basic you're the 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 tempo is brisk at the moment but it's like show me show me the money time um so you're feeling kind of good about september and october because utilities are suggesting that it's time to get moving. Yeah, I think, you know, and you've heard this before, with the WNA meeting and then the big meeting here, which there won't be a lot of U.S. utilities in London. They tend not to, or they've already gone to Europe with the World Nuclear Fuel Market meeting in Slovenia or the meeting in The Hague in April. Um, but there'll be a big gathering in Charlotte, and I think all the utilities will be there. Uh, what happened What in 19, I guess, was in Savannah when the utilities said, you know, I really need to get in the market. And then things started to come unstuck. Uh, I probably get the years wrong, but uh, I, I think we could see that where they hear, they meet, they talk and they go, you know, I don't like that contract with a six, but I better get out there and start filling my my contract portfolio. So it wouldn't surprise me that the fourth quarter we'll see both spot and term activity picking up. Wouldn't surprise me. Question is how much? So uh, again, I think we'll continue to see that price improvement. I mean, you know, when Bank of America came out in what, May with their big study, they see what, 75 next year for term. So some of the banks remain on, and you'd think they'd be even more optimistic with the coup. 
So, you know, we'll have to, again, the industry requires patience. Always has. Always has. Always has. I'm not a patient guy. And I, I know. I know. Investors aren't patient people either. So, um, Brilliant. Um, thanks very much, Dustin. That was that was super um, roundup. We bounced around a bit there, but there's there's a there's a lot going on. And yes. um, let's see let's see how September plays out. It's not too far away. Thank you very much. Absolutely. I'm sure we'll talk. So.